Good morning, River Church. Happy Sunday to you, our last Sunday here in July. We will be together. Uh, you know, today is a special day for us. First of all, it's special because do you see the cloud behind me? In the Old Testament, God always met most intimately with his people, his presence with his people in a cloud. And it's right to be here in this cloud on top of the hill in the river studio where we can commune with our Father, our Creator, with Jesus to learn and to grow in Christ. You know, I've been thinking about this term back because we are back, baby. We are back live, first and foremost. This is our first live service in over, I think, five months. And so it is good to be live, to be with you in your living room, in your home church, in different states, and even just right here down the hill in Redondo Beach or in Lomita or in Rancho Palos Verdes, Palos Verdes Estates. It is good to be live with you. You know, it's also a good thing about being back. It's good to be back in baseball season. Come on, the boys in blue are back playing so well. Ah, Dodgers looking great. They are going to win it all this year or maybe choke in playoffs again. But um, this is 2020 is our year, I'm telling you. 2020, boys in blue are gonna do it. So baseball's <coughs> back, people. It is great to be back. And lastly, because you always need to have three as a preacher, right, or as an MC, gotta have three points here. Bill McPhee is back. Bill mm -hmm. McPhee is back, folks, to give us a message from his heart, from the scripture, and it is so good to have Bill back to speak to, speak to us this morning. So welcome back, River Church, and I'm going to go and read our pastor's scripture uh, this morning for us. So go ahead and grab your Bible, open up your phone to Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and slave to put on and solve to put on your eyes so that you can see those whom I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Right now, we're going to go ahead and pass it off to Heather Hirschberger, one of the most amazing women uh, in our community, and she's going to share from her life a story, her story about what this text calls us, how this text calls us into living today. Heather, take it away. Thanks, Matt. It's a it's a joy to be here to welcome Bill back as as Matt had talked about, and as Bill and I were speaking a little bit about his message today. Uh, we were kind of digging into the idea of like what we clothe ourselves, where do we get our validation? And in light of that, because I'm in that business of fashion, we kind of started taking the thought a little further 
to realizing that there's so many elements in what I do in my daily transactions that really compel me and challenge me with a little bit of the text that Matt just read. So to dive into that first, as any fashion person knows, you have to know what's on trend. And so today I'm wearing these jeans. You may not be able to see them, but some of you are wearing them out there. Uh, they're, it's called distressed, and that is a big trend. And what you do to get distressed jeans is very serious. You have to wring them out. You have to saw, sand, tear, rip, even uh, leave the um, hem unfinished so that it has a frayed look. So fray, holy, um, torn, ripped, and, and basically very distressed. And if I could offer that as a complete look, I'd be in great shape because I've been mastering that in the last four months of this pandemic. So, but it is just limited to my jeans for um, trend purposes. So what is the biggest mark of distinction for, or the ultimate um, goal of a, any fashion designer is to be known by a quality or a, um, a signature or what is what we call a mark of distinction that you're sought out because of this mark of distinction and what's so compelling to me is that our great designer our heavenly loving father God has given us a real clear mark of distinction Jesus tells us um, he says to us they will know you belong to me, they, that you are mine by your love for one another. That is our mark of distinction. That is how I am supposed to clothe myself with his love and love for each other. And just like any, um, any fashion designer, any great designer is usually imitated. And so there's a lot of cheap imitations but you can always know because you get close enough to get into the what we call the designer details where you look really closely what is the quality what is the intricate work that's gone into that to make it authentic and that's what compels me to draw closer to Jesus because as I get into the details with him I see how he loves and it compels me as a business person and that's just to take a story of his was um, if you go into where that he is among many stories he's w walking through a crowd and there is a woman who has been completely marginalized and outcast for 12 years because of suffering she's gone through and she just knows that if she touches his cloak she will be healed so she just tries to snag a quick miracle off of him without maybe anyone knowing but that's not enough for Jesus. She is healed, but he feels the power go out of him and he knows that he has to find her. He is gonna go the extra distance to not just heal her physically, but he knows she needs to be healed emotionally. She needs to be validated. She needs to be known she is loved. And he finds her and he calls her daughter. He calls her daughter. And that's where I am challenged in my day-to-day -day transactions and business in my, as a, in fashion for me, but for so many of us, it's in all various forms. And especially in these times that are hard where we actually are compelled to just think about the bottom line. And am I just giving what they want? And I in turn get what I need. 
but to go that little extra distance, do I, do I validate everyone who comes in contact with me? Do I let her or him know that they are loved, that they are daughter or son? Or am I so preoccupied with validating myself? That is my challenge. It's so easy to get caught up with validating myself. Thanks for letting me share my story. Good morning, River Church. So good to be with you. It's so nice to know that there is someone on the other side of this camera worshiping with us, listening, communing with us. So it's so good to be with you. So fun to be live. Um, we're going to do some worship, and I hope that you join along. And if you don't know the words, that you would just close your eyes and that you would join us in this moment, I'm gonna pray for us. Jesus, you are our everything and we are here for you, God. Lord, we wanna encounter you, God. We wanna be changed today. We wanna be moved by you, Father. So I just, I pray that you would open up our hearts, open up our eyes and our ears, God, to have, to, to, to receive everything that you have for us today. So Jesus, we just we just open ourselves to you right now. And if you haven't, close your eyes for just a moment. Have just a moment with the Lord before we start. If you haven't been able to be quiet all day, and even if the kids are running around you right now, <laughs> just close your eyes and take a breath.
are not absent, God. Your presence is here, Jesus. Thank you, God. You're the God of this city. You're the King of these people. You're the Still to be done in this city. 
Hey, good morning, River Church. It is a delight to be with you today. Come back and bring some thoughts from the scripture text that Matt read. This is my first time preaching since January, so I think Matt's going to have to bring the tin can uh, for the tin man and uh, loosen up the preaching muscles a little bit. But I'm really excited to bring this wonderful series that we've been in, Five Words from Jesus to the Modern Jesus Follower. And you remember those five words, love, hardship, identity, hold on. And today, I bring the last word as we conclude, conclude the series. The word is hot, referring to a white, hot faith. And as Matt read the text, it's a letter from Jesus to the angel in the church in Laodicea. And uh, speaking of being hot, uh, last weekend I went on a bike trip. It was sort of a reunion bike trip with my son and three of his buddies. They're my friends too. And uh, we rode our bikes out of Ojai, up Highway 33. We went 56 miles. We climbed over 5,000 feet. And it was probably close to 100 degree temperature. So here we are. It was hot. We were very hot, but this is not the kind of hot I'm talking about. That was the heat coming that was burning us and giving us sunstroke. But I'm talking about a hot that boils up from within us in our love for Jesus. So let's jump into this letter. I hope you keep a copy of the text out, Revelation 3, starting in verse 14. There's three parts to this letter. It's really easy to outline. There's the reality of their predicament. There's the reason for their predicament. 
And then there's the invitation to a response to their predicament. So let's start with the reality. Verse 14, verse 15, Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. That is a sobering declaration. Really what Jesus is saying, I'm about to vomit you right out of my stomach. I mean, Jesus, what does that really mean to us? But he says, I'm about to. I haven't yet. I don't know if you like to vomit or not. I don't. I don't know anyone that really truly likes to throw up. And in fact, when you're going to throw up, you just feel terrible and you absolutely do not want to throw up. So I imagine that this doesn't bring Jesus any joy to make this statement. But notice his titles, with the authority of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of all of God's creation, Jesus declares reality. He's telling us what is actually going on with this church in Laodicea. Max Dupree wrote a great book called The Art of Leadership. And he says the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. We need people who will tell us the truth. And Jesus is a straight shooter. He doesn't pull any punches. He knows what's going on and he tells it like it is. He's a lot like my therapist who often will stop me and say, hey, wait a minute, Bill. Where did you get that idea? Who, did, who told you that? Now, he'll stop me and make me face reality. I wonder if today, I trust, I hope that through the Holy Spirit, that God's gonna to speak to you, and he's gonna to touch your heart, and he's gonna help you face reality. That's what I'm hoping for. I know God has been speaking to me this week, actually the last month, as I've taken time in this text, and listened to the Holy Spirit, and so I trust that it will be true for you as well. I want you to listen. I want you to listen with an open heart, an open mind, and open ears. These Christians in Laodicea were neither cold nor hot. Now, of course, Jesus prefers hot. He doesn't really want us to be cold. But he says that's even preferable to being lukewarm. The original word used for hot is zestos. So that's really the word for today, zestos. I like that word. It's hot to the point of even beginning to boil over. We have a saying in our house, cold things should be cold and hot things should be hot. I mean, why have it in the middle for sure? And I'm a little bit strange. I make coffee in the morning and I take my coffee and I put it into the microwave. And I drink a half a cup and I get back up and I go put it back in the microwave because to me, coffee should be hot. And sometimes when I have refreshment drinks, I'll put them in the freezer and let them sit for five or 10 minutes because cold things should be cold. You go into a coffee house and you order your coffee and they want to know, do you want hot coffee or do you want an iced latte? They don't offer lukewarm coffee. I mean, that's ridiculous. Why would you ever get that? Which is why I always find it strange when I see people get a cup of hot coffee and then ask for some ice that they can put in it to cool it down. That makes me want to spit it out of my mouth. 
But what Jesus is calling out here is indifference. The Christians in Laodicea were shrugging their shoulders in the face of Jesus, his cross, his resurrection, the magnificent glory and power of God, his priority to come alongside the oppressed, and his ultimate coming to set the world to rights. They were bored. They just shrugged their shoulders. This church, this church had become nauseating in their smug indifference. You know, I identify with that a little bit. I was ordained, called to ministry 39 years ago. I've done a lot of ministry. I've served a lot of churches. I've been a pastor for a long time. And all jobs are hard, but doing ministry, being a pastor, is a particularly taxing, difficult job because of the role we play in people's lives and the struggle people have in helping them grow in Christ. But I'll tell you, ministry is hard, and sometimes I'm tempted to sort of uh, become indifferent, uh, even go through the motions in terms of what I'm doing. And I don't want that to happen. I don't want to be like so many pastors that don't finish well. I want to finish strong and hot, passionate for Jesus. And even going through this tragedy in my life of losing Cynthia four months ago, there's so much temptation for me to get bitter and angry and even cynical and become lukewarm. Like, why bother? What difference does it really make? And even to want to quit. But I'm standing here this morning telling you that I don't want that to happen. I want my faith to be passionate and hot for Jesus. But secondly, Jesus gives a very specific reason for the lukewarm reception that he was getting in Laodicea. Notice in verse 17, you say, and Jesus quotes these Christians, hey, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. Do you hear that? Do you hear the tone and attitude in their voices? But Jesus comes back and says, you do not realize that you are wretched pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That, that's an ouch. I mean, that hurts. Jesus, speaking reality, gives them the reason for this predicament. Now, notice in the text, there's three words of counsel that Jesus gives as an antidote to their precarious position. Jesus says in verse 18, I counsel you, to, number one, buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. Now, this is a significant statement because Laodicea was a massive central banking center. It was an incredibly wealthy city, and money flowed in and money flowed out, and these Christians as well had become very wealthy and very comfortable. But secondly, he goes on, I want you to buy from me white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. This is also interesting because Laodicea was a center for fashion. In other words, they had this very unique uh, black wool from these uh, um, interesting sheep, and it was coveted as a fashion item for making wonderful clothing. I don't know if um, they were on trend with distressed black wool or not, 
But everybody wanted these clothes that Laodicea could produce. Number three, notice he says, I want you to buy from me salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. And that's significant, too, because in Laodicea, there was a very famous medical school. And in that medical school, they had designed a salve that was treating eye problems over and over. And it was wanted all around the Mediterranean world by gold, by white clothing, and put salve on your eyes so you can see. The white clothing is significant because it represents the forgiveness that Jesus offers us. And it represents the purity of character that he wants to form in our lives as we are passionately in love and choose to follow him. Their money couldn't buy joy and couldn't help them in times of sorrow and grief and couldn't solve the problem of loneliness. And as well, this salve, they thought they could see, but they were blind. And they needed to have eyes that could see what was really going on, not only in the world around them, but in their own hearts. The reason Laodicea went lukewarm is because of wealth and fashion and medicine. In so many ways, this is incredibly relevant to us today in our world. Uh, to the church here, the River South Bay. Uh, but it could be other issues as well that Jesus might point out in our setting today. But certainly wealth and fashion and medicine, healthcare is relevant. But this is so important. Jesus never criticizes the wealth. He doesn't criticize having money. Jesus never criticizes the fashion and the clothing and the wonderful, beautiful, uh, fashionable black wool that this city produced. And Jesus was never critical of excellent health care. These are all really good things, money and fashion and health care. But he says the reason you are lukewarm is your attitude toward the acquisition and possession of these three things. Absolutely Critical. They said, I'm rich, and I've acquired wealth, and get this, and I do not need a thing. An incredibly dangerous place that the Laodicean Christians had come to. I've got these things. I need nothing else. They're not hot. They're not cold. They drifted into indifference by self-justification. I've been reading a wonderful book by the philosopher James K.A. Smith, titled, You Are What You Love. Interesting title. It's intriguing. And he talks about cultural liturgies. That's his phrase, cultural liturgies that form and shape us. And sometimes we don't even know the impact that the cultural narrative and stories and forces and temptations and expectations around us are actually shaping us, even without our attention. And these Narratives can become our true love, and we may not even realize it. They can displace a relationship of hot faith in Jesus and our surrender to him. Let me challenge 
we might be surprised by what we really love, even in spite of our nice religious language. The first step toward being hot is to face the reality and the reason for our condition. We have to be brutally honest with ourselves and what we truly love. I have a picture above my desk in my office. I love it. And it's a picture of Daniel in the lion's den. And if there's any example of a young man who was white hot in his faith for God, it was Daniel. And in the midst of incredible pressure and temptation to conform, Daniel ends up in the lion's den. And I want you to notice in this picture the lions who are ready to pounce. But look at where their eyes are focused. It's not on Daniel. It's on the power of God through the open window above his head. Daniel, in the midst of the temptation of the lions around him, kept his focus on God and his passion alive. There are times when we don't want the lions. I often feel like there's lions that are moving around me, just waiting to pounce and steal my faith and destroy my life. And so we, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the same story, we don't like the fiery furnace. And so what we do is we can compromise, easily compromise and bow down to the idols that, all, that, that are all around us. And sometimes we're even unaware that we're actually bowing down to those idols. But I want you to know there's good news. There's the reality and there's the reason, but there's now this opportunity for a response. There's good news in this passage. Jesus has been really harsh with Laodicea. He doesn't say anything good about them, but he ends with an invitation. Notice verse 19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. That seems ironic. And the word he chooses for love is not agape, which we would think it would be, unconditional love. He chooses the word phileo, which is this, this very familiar, affectionate word. Now, we know that God is going to say, that Jesus is going to say, I love you, right? Well, you're supposed to love me. That's what you do. You're God. God loves. But Jesus says, I not only love you, but I like you. I like you. He's talking to Christians that he's about to vomit out of his mouth, and he says, in spite of that, I like you. And because I like you, I'm going to rebuke you, and I'm going to discipline you. God's rebuke and discipline are not angry punishment from him. Whatever's happening in your life and how God is turning the screws in your life, it's not angry punishment, but it's training for future fruitfulness. And your response, the response says, be earnest and repent. Earnestly turn around and go a different direction from the direction you've been going. And he gives this invitation, and we've always listened to this invitation if you've been a churchgoer for long. We think this applies to people that have no faith, that are, you know, ready to hear the gospel. But no, this is an invitation that God gives to lukewarm Christians in Laodicea. And if you struggle at all with being lukewarm, if you've noticed your faith has grown a bit cooler, 
This is an invitation for you. He says in verse 20, here I am. And I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. That is an incredible invitation to you and to me. Jesus invites us to sit down and have a meal with him. Jesus is knocking on the door of your life. Can you? Will you hear him? Will you hear him knocking on your door, maybe even this morning? Will you hear his voice? God is unique among all the cultural narrative and the religious systems of, the, of this world as the seeking God. Jesus comes seeking you and says, I love you. I like you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to sit down for a meal with you. And it's interesting, in this context, there were three different meals that these people were familiar with. The first one was breakfast, and it was just dipping a simple piece of bread in wine, and off to work you go. Lunch was a snack, standing up in between uh, your work hours. But the word he uses here is the word for dinner. Important word. It's the main meal of the day. It's the dinner where everyone gathers and you sit around the table and you tell stories about the day and you listen to one another and you love one another and you get to know one another. This is the word that Jesus chooses to use. I want to sit with you. I want to linger with you. I want to build a relationship with you. And in this context, this is the place where Jesus can shape us, anchor us to the love of God, counter the false narratives that we are pressured by and then eliminate that smug indifference that steals our passion for Jesus. I want to take a moment to pray with you. And so wherever you are, at home, you may be with family, may be with friends, it might be in a backyard, um, might even be later in the week when you've watched the recording of this service. If you can, I just want to encourage you to stop and pause. I want to invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I just thank you so much, Jesus, that you like me. There's so much about myself that I don't like. There's so much self-recrimination. There's so many ways I feel that I failed you. And I can't believe that you like me. And that you want to sit down over a meal and just enjoy good food. And celebrate what you've given me, the good things in life. The provision of money and clothes and incredible health care. I thank you for those. Oh, Jesus, I, I just want to pray for every person listening that we would imagine you now coming to the door of our life. It might be the front door, maybe the back door, side door. And you're knocking. And you won't force your way in. It's up to us to open the door, to say yes. A simple yes 
to Jesus. It's not figuring out all the answers to the questions and the mysteries. Jesus doesn't say, I knock at the door and I'm going to give you a Bible quiz. No, no. He says, let's just sit down and talk. I pray, God, for that person that's really struggling with doubt. During this pandemic, they have found that their faith has been shattered in so many ways. Faith in the provision of government or even medical people or newscasters struggling to know what to believe. And I just pray for the person that is now struggling with hope. I think of those that are going to be seniors in high school. Just the devastation of going into a second year where the senior year has all been eliminated. Pray for the student athletes and, and the hope for sports. And I pray, Father, for those business people who had wealth and now are seeing it evaporate before their eyes. I pray, God, that we would hear your voice and the knock and we would open the door and put our trust in you as we sit and you guide us through a long conversation into what our next steps are going to be. Thank you for loving us and liking us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
us to listen to you, to learn from you, to read your word and watch you as you walked through the scriptures, God. Stir it up in our hearts, Lord. That is our prayer, a passion for your holy name. Have your way with us. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. to challenge you and we do that with God at times and we need but God doesn't leave us to um, to run around he engages with us and that to me is like that's what I need to do as a father is to engage with my son disciplining him because I know the direction of life that will be good for him and that's what God knows for us a white hot faith God is disciplining us and, and moving us into the direction that is for our growth and for our love. Also, as a pastor, you know, today would have been the day that uh, we would have taken up over 200 students to Hume Lake, and there's a, a heaviness in my heart. But I'm called as a pastor to high school students and to young people to not let them grow complacent, that they will engage, God is there engaging with them. And so through Bill's message, I'm convicted this morning to, to engage with them, to show them where God is at work in their life. God is knocking on the door. Are you saying yes to him? Will you open the door to God this morning? Thank you, River Church. And if you uh, did not catch this live, you can always uh, catch it later. And if you did catch it live, make sure you share it uh, with somebody uh, throughout this week that they can hear the good news of Jesus. We love you and be well.